0: I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. I'm joined today by Sean Sutherland, co-founder of A Plastic Planet, the campaign group supporting one single goal, to ignite and inspire the world to turn off the plastic tap. It's a straight-talking message that looks to reject misinformation and greenwashing around plastic, increasing the use of materials that nature can handle, and eliminating those it can't. Through a three-ponged framework to reduce, refill, and replace, A Plastic Planet is a call to action to business, media, and policy makers to pull the plug on production in an industry that if it were a country would be the world's fifth largest polluter. It's the story of a campaigner for whom the words why not are not in her vocabulary and whose tip for life is we have a duty to be joyful. We are the lucky ones. Sean, welcome. I'm, I'm overjoyed to see you. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, look, let's start with, with with that wonderful tip for life. We have a duty to be joyful. We are the lucky ones. Tell us why it matters to you.
1: It's a it's a phrase that has come to me from two very experienced knowledgeable long in the tooth climate scientists to be honest that it's very easy to be overwhelmed with this mm-hmm. Dire vision of the future that we live with right now, that we you know bury our heads in the sand and try and ignore. And I remember talking to one of them, and at the end of it, somebody said, "What, what on earth can we do?" And he said, "To be happy," mm. and because it's the only thing that you know we are we're alive. We've had look at me, I've had the benefit of many years of being a major part of the problem, and for us to go around with our head in the hands and feel miserable about it, I feel is absolutely you know doesn't lead to any kind of change. We have a duty to be optimistic and joyful. And I feel very passionately that we have a responsibility to create a different vision of the future for the next and, generation.
0: And I think that's really interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll get on to your own personal experience and light bulb moments and, and so, because I know they are a really interesting part of the, the story. But I think that this, this idea that actually positivity has a place in addressing the problems of the planet is not necessarily something that you you sort of feel is part of the narrative when you read about it, listen to campaigners about it, look at the big kind of like, you know, cop moments or whatever it might be. And if you are the the voice of positivity, the status quo seems to be the voice of pessimism.
1: It does. And in my world, obviously in the plastic world, everything is about guilt and blame. And I think those two never, and they we become intransient. We get entrenched because we've we become defensive. And we have to move from that into, OK, we're all complicit in this. Every day, every day we vote with our wallets. We vote for plastic. We vote for plastic pollution because we continue to buy plastic. Of course, we could say it's force fed on us. And it is. But we're all complicit in this. My generation is the generation that broke the model of taking from nature, making things and then repairing, reusing, sharing, all of those things. We We broke the system into take-make, chuck in a bin, hope some magical, mythical recycling fairy could do something with it. The so take-make waste has become the the, the new normal. Mm. And, and that's what we have to push against. And the only way that we would do that is by creating a vision of a different way to be. Right. And at the moment, just talking about the problem, we go into this downward spiral.
0: So tell us about... A Plastic Planet, from the point of view of the organisation that you've established, to, to really help address this and be an advocate for change.
1: Let me start with the fact that there is no plastic saint sitting talking to you right now. You know, I am a massive <laughs> plastic sinner.
0: I'm, I'm an entrepreneur.
1: My most recent business, I co-founded and ran a skincare brand in 14 countries. Can you imagine how many plastic bottles I've personally pumped out into the environment without even thinking what's going to happen to them next? Not on my list. Shocking to say that now. But, you know, 12 years in in the experience and the knowledge and the awareness of, of the plastic problem has been, has been a long time. And then I got involved in the launch of a film called A Plastic Ocean. And that, for me, was my rapid mm-hmm. epiphany of realising what we do. And then you know, I was exiting the skincare brand. And, and you know, like, like all entrepreneurs, you think oh, I'll go and help other entrepreneurs, you know, I'll, I'll consult and do all these things, but I couldn't leave the plastic thing alone.
0: Right. So, well, and was the, of- was the film the kind of the moment for you in terms of where you yes. think I'm going to do something about this? So talk, talk us through what you saw, how you felt and why you acted.
1: So it was the experience, really, through 2016, pre-Blue Planet 2. Nobody was talking about plastic. Nobody was talking about the ocean crisis, let alone everything else that we now know about plastic. And I was asked to advise the Hong Kong board on the launch of this documentary film, first feature documentary ever on the problem of plastic. It had taken eight years to make this film. Kind of shocking in itself, but also good news because the the science behind the impact of plastic in the ocean and what that was doing to the entire food chain and therefore human health was becoming much more known. And it was through that process of, of working with the producers, but obviously the scientists the marine biologists, that I truly understood this is what we're doing and we continue to do.
0: But but I suppose that's knowledge, but it feels like there was something more elemental in terms of a reaction. Because when I look at things that you've spoken about, when you talk about our relationship with plastic, you'll talk about things that it's infected the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like there was a a more elemental revulsion, repulsion, if you like, to actually what was happening. And I'm I'm trying to, I suppose, you talked about the head. Tell us a bit about the heart in terms of actually how you felt about this issue, the road to activism.
1: I guess guilt, anger, shame, you know, all of those and, and helplessness.
0: Because you know,
1: a lot of people say to me, "So what's your top ten tips, Sean, on you know how we, as the members of the public, how we can prevent the plastic crisis? It's, like, it's nothing to do with you. I'm sorry, but you know, of course we have a personal level of responsibility, and we can vote with those wallets and we can really support the brands that are trying to do the right thing. But ultimately, we buy what we're sold. And so- that's the bit that irritates me. is industry's job is to sell us something different, and government's job is to mandate that they do that
0: fast. Right. And, and, and if you take the view that, you know, we, we, we hear lots of talk about business as a force for good. And, you know, I mean, I interview lots of business leaders on this show who see themselves as agents of change, change makers, but we've still got an exponentially growing addiction to, to plastic around around the world. I mean, you've spoken about, you know, a world of plastic addicts. Presumably you see business as, as, as feeding the habit. Yes.
1: But I also do see them as the tool of change. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I believe in the power of business. And it's the only tool of change that we have right now. We cannot wait for this uprising of, you know, the ethical consumer to change things. Of course, brands want to do what their customers want. Of course, it should be illegal for us to do the wrong thing within business but it isn't you know, governments short-term is enthralled to the fossil fuel industry we can never never forget where does plastic come from mm. it's from the fossil fuel industry it is plan b petrochemicals for and yeah, yeah.
0: It, but, but, but do you not think that i mean th- this is a this is a human created mm-hmm. um issue i mean as you're you're quite rightly saying it which is it's not nature's not created plastics you know it's a miracle people it's have- a
1: miracle yeah we yeah. created and who knew that man could create something so extraordinary that mm. we can we can mold and shape and we can have it rigid and shiny and we can have it like you know Saran wrap cling film we can have all of these different variations the polyester clothing that we wear that's 70% of all our clothing now
0: and is so that it's good? It's amazing. Is, would, terrible. Would, terrible. Terrible. Right. Because what I was going to ask is because a lot of a lot of people will say to you, is that okay, I see the waste, but if you look at if you look at the modern world and the seats we sit on and the, the mm-hmm. tables that we use, is that plastic is the it, it is the mechanism, isn't it? In terms mm-hmm. of the way that the modern world has constructed itself.
1: Yeah, we, we created a material that virtually lasts forever. And instead of putting it on that pedestal and using it for things that we need to last forever. 40% of all plastic that we make, we use for packaging. You know, the, the very word, you know, I'm not buying the packaging, I'm buying the thing inside. That packaging goes straight into the bin. It's a material that was never designed to be recycled. It's only ever downcycled. There is a reason that only 9% of plastic in the UK is recycled and in the US it's less than 5% mm. it, it, because it's it's there is no financially rewarding model for recycling plastic. So we need to move away from that and then recognise because plastic has been so incredible and because we, we consider it the empowering force behind the advancement of how we live our lives, we've become completely addicted to it. Mm. And we, we need to create a vacuum without plastic that innovation can then flourish of non-toxic materials. This is not about going backwards. It's about going forwards now.
0: Now, but one of the things you spoke about a little bit earlier there was this this issue that, you know, what what can I do? Well, not very much. It's a business response. But we do know that consumer activism is an important part of the considerations increasingly for organizations and that actually their reputation can be trashed in moments so whether it's you know emission scandals or whatever it might be I mean there is a plastic scandal here isn't there in terms of you know to knowingly imprison people around plastic is to is to effectively make the environmental change that we that we seek increasingly seek almost impossible isn't
1: it yes and that, that of course, is, is the nub of the problem, is unless businesses are mandated to change from using this toxic, indestructible, polluting material, which is the gateway to everything, it's solid carbon crisis, mm-hmm. then, then they cannot change. Because it is fatally cheap, it's the most subsidised material in the world, from the most subsidised industry in the world. It's extraordinary. But it has enabled the whole of mankind to create the climate crisis itself. Because if you look back and think, what was the tipping point where we could break that system and we could ramp up, you know, of of take, make, reuse to take, make waste? What was the one material that suddenly uh, created the huge coal fired manufacturing facilities in China to make more and more and more stuff that we use once and chuck away. That was the invention of plastic. So it's not just about the waste. And I hate talking about the waste. Like I say,
0: when I say to it people... It's the endemic relationship it, we have with it. It's
1: it's the, it's the symbolism of the hyper-consumption it allows, it enables, and and what that has done to the world, to the climate, to everything. What it's done to ourselves. Mm. The uh, amount of stuff that we buy, it doesn't make us happy.
0: But I suppose this, this thing gets to the crux of it, which is that I suppose... A lot of people that, if they were really honest about it in business, would say, "Well, actually, plastic is an agent of growth, right? You know that actually this is how we do things cheaply, efficiently." There is a an idea that is doing the rounds at the World Economic Forum called degrowth, um, mm-hmm. which is about um, creating a you know a kind of commercial economy that can live more within the means of the planet. But of course, with that, I mean, we, we you spoke about you know mindless consumerism and and so on. But I mean, I suppose the question is, how do you prepare a world? To to radically address and alter its relationships with things that it have has taken for granted for generations.
1: How do we prepare the world for that? In, in some ways, we are we are never going to be prepared because the future has never been more predictable than it is today. And everybody says, "Oh, we've got such an uncertain future." No, I think actually, if you listen to ninety eight percent of the world scientists, mm. they tell us the future is very predictable. And when we talk about the amount, you know, the, the supply chains. What's going to be happening to the world? I think uh, it, things will be very different. There will be no cheap global south workforce. Most of the ingredients that we depend on to make a huge amount of the stuff that we buy every day, that supply chain will be broken because of the climate crisis. So these things are going to happen very very quickly and if I were a business today I would have one question in my head is is my business prepared for this very certain future.
0: Yeah. And but, s- but but does does plastic feature in the minds of those scientists, policy makers and others that gather at COP and and so on because I, you know I, if you were to take them at face value, they would argue that it's things like cutting down on carbon and it's about decarbonising the planet that is, you know, so, so plastic might be a, a blight and it might be horrendous to look at and it might be landfill. But in terms of the hierarchy, it's not something, you know, if you look at, and I think you've said this, is that, you know, if you look at the COP26 agenda in Glasgow last year, I mean, plastic really didn't, not on
1: the agenda. didn't not feature once. at all.
0: So so, so I suppose make the case for us in terms of that future that we seek of a net-zero economy, how is it made easier by, a, you know, you, you talked about the power of the simple and single-minded focus. How does that net-zero world become that bit more possible by addressing plastic? The
1: plastic crisis is the canary in the coal mine of the climate crisis. It is the gateway. I fundamentally believe if we fix the plastic crisis, we will directly and indirectly fix so much else because we will address hyper-consumption we will address waste. At the moment, we take 1.75 planet's worth of resource every single year. Mm. We take the resources of my children's future, we sell them today, we call them GDP. When you're talking about carbon, somehow the fossil fuel industry has managed this incredible sleight of hand to decouple plastic from greenhouse gas emissions, from the fact that from the minute it is extracted from the ground as oil, all the way through to its never-ending end of life, then it is a massively carbon-intensive product. The one thing it has going for it is it's light. So all you will ever see if people talk about, yeah, but it's light, Look, glass it's heavy, look at this. You know, but it's... It's designed for a one-time use. And that means we have to continue to keep pulling it out of the ground, keep manufacturing it. There is no recycling infrastructure of note. But if we stopped using it, imagine if plastic were illegal tomorrow. And in many countries, things like plastic bags, they are illegal. Mm. You look at Rwanda, $37,000 fine for having a plastic bag. If it were to be banned, and I'll move on to things like the other reason it should be banned is the impact on human health. Then imagine the innovation that would happen. Imagine the lack of the, the... reduction in the amount of I, resource we would take from the planet I, the you know the impact on carbon and greenhouse greenhouse gases that that would have
0: you see I, th- I think that's a very interesting observation that because i think i think the the historic role of of business as innovator and you know having that ability to change the way things are made constructed is that if you're on the side of business you'll say well actually that's what business does it improves processes it comes up with better outcomes but if you're greta Thunberg this week she Basically saying, look, the whole system is irredeemably broken. And that actually, you know, these businesses themselves are just going to forever be the problem. And I suppose it may lead you to a Um, a moral conclusion about the motivations of people that perpetuate a system or it might say well look this is about resetting the mission and doing it in a way that goes back to your joyful sense of being the motivator rather than the enforcer I'm just wondering where you sit Sean, in this and says well what gets the wheel to change what gets people to turn around and go it's going to change now
1: yes I I think those are really good points because for me it's also why I'm so clearly focused so absolutely focused on plastic. And I don't get distracted on any other things because it's the catalyst. Mm. And if you went to a Unilever, a p and a Coca-Cola, and you said plastic is banned, they would rethink their entire business model and they would become a 21st century business that would have a future in you know, that would have a future period. Whereas at the moment, the likes of Coca-Cola, they're not a drinks company. They're a plastic bottle production facility that licenses out the formula (laughs) for their drinks. You know, you look at many, many of these companies, you walk into a Boots or a Walmart. It's like Jurassic Park of all this colored plastic. Imagine a world where packaging was permanent, where you made it once. It fitted into a really simple circular system where your your brand was not your bottle. Your brand was actually the, the product. Held within it imagine if we move to that kind of model imagine mm. the dramatic reduction we would have because we're not having to remake this this packaging every single time you sell something
0: yeah i, I mean I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, the whole tipping point ideas that actually usually you know you talked about the canary in the mine mine that there's often somewhere on a on a kind of stream of, you know, the relationship between products and how they're manufactured. There is often a group that has got that disproportionate influence to affect change. And, you know, you've mentioned a really interesting point there about Coca-Cola as a bottling company rather than the drinks producer. But you've also spoken elsewhere about the supermarkets using around 114 billion, billion pieces of throwaway plastic packaging mm-hmm. each year. And, you know, if you think about, about pictures in people's minds, I mean, all of our relationships with the supermarkets feels like it's the front line of this, where we're confronted with how our apples are bagged up or how we take things home. And I'm just wondering, if you were to put pressure on someone right now, is it the Coca-Colas and the Unilevers and others, or is it the Tescos and the Sainsburys in terms of people that could start to lead the change? Who are the people you recruit today?
1: It has to be all of them. So on exactly this point... We hosted a a workshop with the British Beauty Council a few weeks ago because everybody I talk to talks about collaboration. The Unilevers, the PNGs, the Mondelezers, they all say not one of us can fix this alone. And in fact, Mm. the Greenpeace report that talked about the Ellen MacArthur Foundation plastic pact came out yesterday, proving that every single one of the companies signed up to that plastic pact is failing. None, in fact, they've gone backwards to 2018 levels of plastic that they're using. They're using even more plastic than they were a couple of years ago. So voluntary is never going to work. Doing things in silos in isolation is never going to work because it's the system that we need to change, not just the material. So what we did was bring together competitive businesses, a L'Oreal and an Esther Lauder say, competitive retailers, because you have to have the entire supply chain, a super drug, a, you know, Walgreen Boots Alliance. You know, we brought those people together into one room and we said here's a white piece of paper if you were to reinvent from scratch a personal care business today what would it look like because it would not look look, look like the supply chain baggage and that everything you, that have. you have to bring forward yeah. when you're trying to instil change and at the end of three hours, we had the bones of a framework for a brand new kind of business of the 21st century. And now it's what do you do with that? Right. How do no, How do we engage them and get them to collaborate to realise that vision?
0: But, but do you think that they are up to it? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, what, what you're talking about is quite rightly the sort of paradigm shift. In terms of our relationships with plastic, which has to happen if we want a planet in 2050, hundred years' time, which is not going to have been horribly ruined by it, by us. But if you were to look at campaigns in the past, and I'm thinking, you know, there are there are examples of massive changes with you know our relationship with with smoking or or mm-hmm. organics or lots lots of things that have happened, but nothing on this scale. I mean, th- this is a this is a kind of defining issue and my question to you is that are the people that you're coming across in in these workshops and elsewhere I mean are they up to it can they do it as, as human, human beings, as leaders, yeah. As as
1: human beings, oh my God, their heart is there. Nobody, you know, the the CEO of Coca Cola does not feel good going home saying to his kids, "I added to those 120 billion plastic bottles this year." Mm. Nobody feels good about this. They all want the answers. So I think as human beings, they they are there. There's only one group that need persuading, and that's the stakeholders, the shareholders, the board need to feel empowered to go to the stakeholders and say, "We're going to take a short-term hit for a long-term gain." because otherwise the unilevers of the world will not exist they are the future dinosaurs because their entire business model is based on the wrong principles they well, know this
0: well, they know and, this. well and, and you know you unilevers i mean you're right about the stakeholders because i mean unilever very very famously a few months ago came into you know quite hot water over over a shareholder revolt around its more purposeful you know sort of commitments and so so okay so capital investment yes. pension pension funds money and law. It's right. the money and
1: law are
0: always the catalyst
1: of change. Mm. And, and we need laws because it shouldn't be legal to do the wrong thing. And right now it is. And, you know, when we look at where, where is the liability within that shareholder stakeholder group? You know, at the moment, there is a severe liability if you continue to use a material that is bad for everything on the planet, including humans, knowing what we now know. Right. We could say we didn't know before, but now we know.
0: Now we know. Now, now, <clears throat> now listeners might be wondering why my list of things that have affected change I didn't mention recycling. Now, you've described, uh, and, I, I, and I left it out for good reason. I mean, you've described re- recycling as the fig leaf of consumption. Would Tell you- us more, Sean, because a lot of us sort of think well, recycling's doing our bit. We can do good stuff here, can't we?
1: Recycling, many things. Paper, card, metal, glass. Carry on doing it. Great. Pop the right thing in the right bin. Plastic, don't bother. I'm sorry to be radical. It is an out, out lie that we have been swallowing that little placebo pill of recycling for decades now and it doesn't exist. So do you know where over 60% of our plastic waste that we religiously rinse out and pop into the right bin in the UK goes? Into a container ship to someone else, some godforsaken country who has now got to deal with our rubbish. Mm. Why is that even legal? So we have to stop. Every country has to deal with its own dirt. And the other thing I love about if we change plastic, we change so much else. Imagine what would happen just in our food supply chains. Plastic is extraordinary because it means that we can ship things for thousands of miles and give things a fake on-shelf expiry date. And imagine if we, you know, I'm sure when you go on holiday, Michael, the first thing you think you're in France, you think, let's go to the market yeah, and let's the, go I'm, and, you know, I'm, that wonderful gustative experience of seeing fresh produce that smells how it should and tastes how it should. Do you wake up here in the UK and think, let's go to Tesco today, kids? Well,
0: no, that, because it, you know it,
1: it's broken. It's broken this incredible relationship that we should have with the very food that sustains us. But I,
0: but I suppose they will they would argue if they were if they were uh, responding to this. They'd say, well, look, you know, a lot of what we're doing is, you know, you're talking about wonderful holidays to provide that wealthy people can afford and actually we are the business of every little helps and we are you know the system we are producing may not have many of the kind of things you're talking about but it does deliver food at prices that people can afford and at a time like the cost of living crisis that we're living in does that make your message harder to land no,
1: I'm, I'm no, i know because it's more expensive Um, Yeah, no, no. And it shouldn't be. I mean, this is not like organic, my goodness, you know, where, oh, let, let the poor people eat the pesticides. What on earth happened there? fundamentally wrong no there is a there's a great book by a canadian author called jb mckinnon the hundred mile diet and the other thing that we need to look at i refer to the incredible you know european food markets only because they didn't adopt the u.s food supply chain mm. and we copied the u.s food supply chain massively unwieldy long supply chains that that mean that you have to have packaging so the tescos of the world if you created a tesco today then what would it look like back to my white piece of paper. Would it look like something that is dependent on these long, expensive, carbon-intensive supply chains? Or would it look on a model which is more based on UK crops,
0: I, I, I think, I think you know, I think it's a really interesting question. You know, what one, you know, that I think is worth following up on, which is that if some of the world's largest corporations were to restart tomorrow, you mm-hmm. know, rather than being these kind of legacy of, you know, generations of just having, you know, built up behaviours and styles and, you know, systems that are almost like, you know, just repeat, what would they do? Because the, I interviewed John Mackey, the Whole Foods founder, and, you know, for, for him, the, the, you know, the activism in the early days of the whole the, the idea. I mean, for him, this was about you know obesity, and it was about good food and about a good relationship mm-hmm. with food. And and his feeling was that well, America exported obesity to the world, and I'm going to be an American corporation that helps address it the other way. And actually, but but actually, the idea that the supermarket becomes a a source of activism feels like it's very much in in the mold that you're talking about, which is that, well, here we are in 2022. You've now got the benefit of being a Fortune 500 company or whatever you might be what if you were to restart how would you do it I think I, I wonder whether enough of them have even ever thought about that
1: and wouldn't it be freeing to give them the space to think about that Mm. And and what what we recognized early on when we hosted this workshop with all the competitive personal care brands, and we want to do exactly that model with food and drink brands and everybody. Number one, you have to have everyone in the room that is the entire supply chain. Number two, you have to leave your title at the door. You are simply a person that is passionate about that particular industry and about change. And number three, you do not bring the baggage with you. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem that I feel so, I really feel for corporates. It's very difficult to change. The will is there but the baggage they have to drag with them the brand heritage the stakeholders the commitments the supply chain the legacy that they have to drag forward put in front of them and climb over every time they're trying to change imagine if you were freed and you said what would it look like today
0: right now we are rapidly running out of time I've still got plenty I want to talk to you about so I'm going to try and wedge a few things in but well, I've still got you but I suppose the, the bit of this we haven't spoken about you know is government mm-hmm. and it's responsibility I mean we are talking on the eve of the new COP gathering in in, in Egypt. How do you feel about government's ability to affect change here? Do you sort of wring your hands of it? Or do you actually feel actually we should be more, you know, hopeful about what government can do?
1: So we are engaged at at government level, because you have to be. And Things like you know, the UN Global Plastics Treaty, we have just been part of the co-hosts of the first stakeholder dialogues to see how can we help inform DEFRA on what the UK negotiating position should be on what is going to be you know, a very impactful, we hope, Global Plastics Treaty by the end of 2024. However, it's very evident that governments are short-termist. They um, are massively influenced by the fossil fuel industry. And if we, the public, vote them in to care for us, to look after us and do the right thing and govern us well, I believe they are failing us. Mm-hmm. Because if you look, if a business was measured by the impact or the sales that it makes, and it's looking for that, you know, that ever upward curve of growth, if you looked at what impact has every single global event had on greenhouse gas emissions and tapering down, having some kind of impact on the climate crisis, every single one has failed. Right. So but- greenhouse gas emissions are here. Every single little event, zero impact. But,
0: but the thing I'm thinking about with some of the sort of the political posturing on this, you, you and I were speaking off off interview about your playlist, and we we, we mentioned that you, you wish you'd put a, a you know Elvis's fa- famous. A little less conversation, a little more action. I mean, we need a lot more action, don't we? We we need less posturing and actually more getting on with it.
1: Absolutely right. And I don't know about you. I know this is a podcast, so I shouldn't be be saying this. (laughs) I'm done with the words. And I only want to work with people who are committed to action now. The packs, the pledges, the promises—forgive me, it's bullshit.
0: Mm. It's,
1: it's setting a little gold. You're probably not even going to be in charge by then, and you can fail because there is absolutely no comeback or responsibility on you if you fail. A little bit uh, of bad PR, maybe.
0: Uh, yeah, but,
1: I but, mean, you know, we but, have to move now.
0: But but there is a willpower issue. I mean, y- you are a person that strikes me. I mean, we don't know each other, but I've really enjoyed getting to know you because you strike me as being a kind of like a person who has got real willpower. You, You've said in the past that naivety is my superpower because I don't know the reasons why not. Does that explain you, Sean, in terms of getting to know the person we've met today?
1: I I think it does because sometimes you can get involved in very complex. Change models. And I feel that we're in a position be, to be able to say, well, why can't you put that material with this material and combine them from two different complete markets and create something that's never been done before? And we work with people who have very deep knowledge mm. and they are entrenched in their own silos and I completely understand that they have deep expertise and sometimes it's better not to know and so mm-hmm. our superpower is that of being able to say well why can't I
0: why can't yeah. we
1: just start again
0: well an ally to that last question is you, you got a lovely quote for life if it was easy everyone would do it it's meant to be hard get over it give us a final thought
1: that is something I have bored my teams through all my entrepreneurial stages when people start to struggle and I just say
0: it's meant to be hard you know
1: this is it so otherwise Everybody would be doing it, and they don't. So you know, we have to just get over it and know this is normal. Mm. And and the you know the the times when things go great, really relish them. Those are serious moments of joy because normal are tough times. Right. This is the world. This is the world we've created.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sean. Thank you so much for that. I I feel we could have gone on and on. I mean, not least because I'm desperate to ask you about your mother, who <laughs> you described as saying basically the sound of music was uh, well, what so that but the hills have been very much alive to the sound of Sean Sutherland. Thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers.
1: Thank you, Michael, it's been such a
0: pleasure. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaigns firm, Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant Beatty Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works. And if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?